Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you heard all the rave about the new Quick Grill located inside the Be Quick Chevron on Veterans Boulevard? Come visit Be Quick Chevron along with Quick Grill, Be Quick Food Marts, your locally owned hometown convenience store, wherever you are. What is up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Riffey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Colin Brister. We appreciate hanging out with us on this Monday, July 28th, I think, edition of the Rebel Report podcast. Um, football is kind of back. Fall camp starts this week. Uh, what They have media day Thursday. Camp begins on Friday. And the cycle kind of starts turning. I am back from California, back into glorious Mississippi, where the drive down Pacific Coast Highway was exactly the same from <laughs> I-55 south to Batesville. Uh, what's up, man? Not much, not much. I'm I'm glad you made it back in one piece. Yeah, I did. I uh, we had a nice like last day. Just did some different stuff. Um, we got an interview coming uh, next week. So I met with my buddy's boss, Lee Steinberg, who is a sports agent. Has been in the business about forty forty something years. Um, really was kind of like I don't know if he was the first but he was definitely one of the first sports agents like in terms of like the modern what you think of a sports agent um if you've seen the movie Jerry Maguire that movie is based off of his life loosely um he's kind of a guy that that kind of had it all in the late 90s or I, I should say just in the 90s in general um through some different missteps kind of I mean effectively lost it all and then kind of is kind of making his way back um his real headline client now is Patrick Mahomes who's probably going to in the next little bit sign one of the biggest if not the biggest deals in NFL history um interesting guy a lot of stories I talked to him for about 30 minutes last Friday um and so we penciled him on to uh, sometime next week so I'm thinking that's going to be next Wednesday that'll be interesting that uh I think people enjoy that that guy is uh I'll just leave it at that. he's probably he's lived some life I'll put it that way <laughs> his life has now been boring well, I walked into his office, and the first like couple, like I start looking at like some of the photos and stuff on the wall, and then like a couple of the photos on his desk, and like like the first two personal photos I saw um, were him and Jerry Jones, then him and Kevin Costner, and then him and Obama. <laughs> that's so, a uh, that's a trio. Yeah, that's uh, I don't my fr- I, my friends don't really hold that much hold that much clout when I put photos up on the wall. It's probably why I don't have photos up on the Who's wall. Of the, my friends. Uh, Who's the most famous person you know? Like could could like text right now. Oh, it's 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 uh I, I shoot, I don't even know the answer to that. Um <laughs> I mean I don't really know anyone. Like I mean I could text like Ross Bjork or Matt Luke. I like, does that count? <laughs> I mean I'm really beyond that. I don't I, unless I'm missing someone, I really you I don't, uh probably not doing that. Probably not doing that. Um I don't think I have – unless I'm clearly missing somebody, I really don't think I have, like – got to get more famous friends. I hang out with a bunch of slapdicks, I guess. I don't know. I mean, what, did you have one? I don't have no, one. No, no. I was just curious. Um, if anyone listening well, out there wants to actually, tell us the most actually, famous person in their phone book, that could have been in their phone book, in I'm their somewhat, contact list. I'm uh, that could actually with, be an interesting segment. I'm somewhat friends with the NFL player, so there we go. I mean, he went to my high school. but Who? Derek Jones. Um, okay. No, that counts. I mean, if you have like, if you're able to tag, he has to be in your phone number I and mean, in yeah. your phone book. Yeah. I've got his phone up. I've got his phone number in my phone, but I mean, that could be like, an interesting segment. I'm just going to start asking people we have on there. Hell, I'll ask Lee who's the most famous person he has on his phone. He'll probably text Bill Clinton. <laughs> Bill Clinton. It wouldn't shock me God. at all. <laughs> I mean, that guy, you talk about like living a different like type of lifestyle. Like that guy was like buddies with Hugh Hefner. And like they used to hang out. It's like it, yeah. He he's on a different level of like like fame. I mean, the hell, they made a movie about his life and pretty famous one at that. I mean, if Tom Cruise is playing you as a character, you've probably done something in life. Yeah, I figure you. Well, I was gonna say I figure you've made it in life, but I'm not sure that's exactly the case. Um, I guess you can make it and unmake it. I mean, this guy's not. He did not like unmake it. I mean, he he had some trouble with people. I mean, that's a that's a very high risk, high reward industry. Um. And, you know, you're going to have your falls. Uh, but I, it's almost it's like a comeback story in a way because he's kind of built himself back up. I mean, you know, he's got a pretty decent 
from what I could tell, decent, I guess, pool of clients, Patrick Mahomes kind of being the headliner and all that. But anyway, I think it'll be an interesting interview. He apparently has some pretty wild stories. I kind of scratched the surface of some of them when I was talking to him about just like coming on the podcast and different stuff. Really nice guy, really interesting guy. Um, so I think people enjoy that. Um, yeah, so that's kind of what we got covered up. Um, so fall camp is starting on Thursday. You have media day, I think, at like 1 o'clock. On Thursday, which is basically where not the entire team, but basically the entire team just kind of sits around and like you, it's the most open access we have to them pretty much the entire season um, in terms of them just coming around, like you being able to sit down and uh, and talk to different players. And then they start camp on Friday. I'm trying to make sure I have the days right on this. I'm looking this up right now. Um, yeah, so media day starts thursday and then they start begin practice on friday um so yeah just I mean, it, what go ahead go ahead i was i was gonna say just once i wish like somebody would go around at media days asking non-football questions like just go around asking like what their favorite restaurant in oxford is and all sorts of random bs <laughs> questions well i think you get some tv people that that do that or at least have done that in the past and that is kind of the setting to do that because you're not going <laughs> to get that many you're not going to get that amount of players yeah. um, in that setting again. And, you know, you can kind of get some decent stuff. I have some decent ideas for, for some decent stuff I'm, I'm working on. So yeah, that, um, so you got that. And then like, I, I like I'm trying to think of, I was going to go four storylines going into, and I'll probably write about this later this week, but the four, I'll, I'll guess I'll throw out three things I'm watching for. And if you have anything to add, um, feel free to add on it. So I guess far as fall camp is one, you're not gonna be able to actually tell much like what we see in practice is not enough to like really formulate very many opinions outside from maybe who's healthy and who's participating on a given day. And sometimes they run through some scale stuff offensively when we're out there. So you can kind of get an idea of who they have running, you know, first, second team on the two deep and stuff like that. Um, so really other than depth chart type stuff, some injury type stuff, and you can't really tell much. I mean, you're not like, you know, I mean, they're, they're obviously not, they're not showing us anything that they would want out there while we're standing out there. So really, other than that, there's not a whole lot be be had from the actual practice and availability. But then again, there's always storylines that develop throughout fall camp and kind of who's flashing and stuff. You talk to enough coaches. The good thing about the good and bad thing about fall camp is you get a ton of access. Like you get, you know, Friday, Monday, when basically Monday, Wednesday, Friday or every other day pretty much every day some weeks is tuesday thursday whatever it is and that's good in the sense that you can kind of follow along and kind of i guess see what's you can get an idea of what's actually happening um in practice and stuff from talking to enough coaches but at the same time when you hit you know august 16th and there's a week left in fall camp and there's really nothing to write about unless someone gets hurt or something like that it's kind of like okay like this is getting monotonous um, but I had four written down. So the first one I'm going to go with, does the offensive line, like what does the second team offensive line look like? Cause we went through this a couple weeks ago. There's like one guy that's played a snap of football and there's Chandler to it. I think Jalen Cunningham played a little bit as a red shirt freshman, but there's really one guy with experience at all as a second teamer. How does that depth develop? Who's in there? And then which one of these newcomers, they have seven new off, seven freshman offensive linemen coming in for the fall. Which one of those guys maybe jumps in? Because I, I think at least one of them is going to jump in the 2D, probably more than that. Um, they just don't know what they have in them yet. And it's so hard to get offensive linemen ready. I heard Rich Rod talk about this back in the spring, is it's hard to get offensive linemen ready because a lot of these kids got to add weight and put on strength. Like some of these skill position players kind of come in at least, I guess, comparatively maybe more ready to contribute but offensive line a lot of times is a process like you more often than not you see offensive linemen kind of go through it a little bit first second year and then kind of start participating as a red shirt sophomore junior something like that once they put some weight on them and some strength and you're also asked to do a lot more as an sec offensive lineman than you probably were in high school so i'll be interested to see what that two deep looks like particularly the back end of it because i think the, the, the starting offensive line is probably not completely set, but you probably know who the personnel is. It just depends on where they're going to play for the most part, barring maybe a spot or two. Um, I'm thinking left tackle. Um, you know, Eli Johnson's probably the center, but what happens if he goes down or something like that? Just a barring a spot or two. But So I think freshman offensive lineman, I guess, is what I'll narrow that down to. I kind of did that in a roundabout way. What are these seven new coming offensive linemen? Where do they shake out in the two deep, let's say, a weekend to fall camp? 
Yeah, no, I mean, that's certainly fair because obviously the odds of you getting through a season with five healthy offensive linemen are slim to none. 2012. Yeah, well, I mean, they they still played guys on the second team. I mean, Justin Bell got snapped, so they started the same five. Oh, yeah, no, I know. I was kind of mostly being facetious, but just remember, I was talking with Ben about this, because we were just seeing Emmanuel McRae continue to run out there with all of his knee and leg issues, and just the fact that they started all five is is incredible in and of itself. But to your point, you got to play a bunch of different dudes. Yeah, especially, you know, in, in this system, Rich Rod's wanting to run his power system. So, yeah, I mean, you're going to have to have guys off that second team contribute. And you're going to have to have guys be able to play multiple positions. So, um, and that's probably where you're going to find one of those guys on the second team that maybe can be a swing guy and play, you know, guard and tackle or, you know, maybe center and guard. So it'll be, yeah, the development of those guys is certainly critical for this season. Yeah, and it's, 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 it's interesting, like, I just I don't know how to who are these young kids like you got Broker coming in at six they list him at six six two eighty eight Reese McIntyre is um six five three fifteen like these guys are big guys like you know Caleb Warren another guy I just don't know like it's going to be and I need to probably talk to some people and kind of get a better idea of kind of what what they have and they may not know yet of just which like what, I, I'm just interested in which one of these kids ends up kind of ready to play and kind of coming along because it feels like one. One of these newcomers that wasn't here for the spring at, at minimum is going to have to come in and be some kind of role player. I say role player, some have some kind of role on the, the two deep on the offensive line, because I just don't see like what they have right now. I just really don't see them making it through the year with that. I mean, with all due respect, like Samuel Plash is their second team center right now, you know, like, yeah. Like what, 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 like it, something's going to, something's got to give there because I'm, hold on, I'm making sure I have, everything correct so yeah my point being is something's got to give here because i don't think you're making it all the way i don't think you're making it through an sec season with your second team offensive line reading as hamilton hall chandler to samuel plash jalen cunningham and michael howard one of these yeah. kids multiple i think of these kids the brokers the warrens the you know whoever's of the world is going to have to play i mean reese mcintyre i don't know i what a couple of those new coming kids are going to have to play and i'm kind of interesting to figure out who it is yeah, I mean, they didn't sign seven offensive linemen this, this recruiting season for all seven to redshirt this year. So, yeah, I mean, there's an expectation that those guys are going to come in and contribute. I think they signed some guys that they thought uh, might could come in and contribute, you know, right away because otherwise you don't sign seven of them. So, you know, it, those guys are going to have to be ready to go, at least one or two of them, if they're planning on making it through this season alive. And at the same time, when you talk about expectation, you really can't have much for them because I'm not sure there's a bigger jump to be made than playing high school offensive line. I mean, maybe other than the quarterback position, obviously, to, from playing high school offensive line to major college football on the offensive line as a freshman. You know, what would actually be interesting, and I'll probably end up doing this at some point, is talking to Sean Rawlings about that because when he came in in 15 – you know, the kind of plan was for him to redshirt and get his strength up because I remember he was he was he was a little bit underweight and and really not necessarily ready to contribute. But then the Laramie Tunsil thing happens at 15, and then he's got to go play. You know, three games into his college career, he's going into Bryant Denny Stadium, and you know they won probably one of the biggest games in program history. Like that's not an idea, but they didn't want to put him in that scenario, but they had to. And so it was kind of interesting. Wait, you talking about Sean Rawlings? Yeah. Oh, okay. Why? Well, I mean, he redshirted in fourteen. Yeah, I know, but I don't think he, the plan. Like, I, I, like, I don't think the plan was for him to play in fifteen. Right, that's kind of my point. I got you. No, no, the plan was for him to sit behind Laramie Tunzel and uh, Fawn Cooper at right tackle and gain some experience. Did I say he redshirted in fifteen? No, 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 I thought you said uh, he was a true freshman in fifteen. No, I think I, no, I think I misspoke. I think uh, like the plan was he redshirts fourteen. They're kind of kind of kind of get some strength on him, get him ready to play. Like he was not supposed to kind of necessarily. No, he, he was not supposed to play in fifteen, and he played a lot. So yeah, yeah, I mean he was. But that's hard to, to do, like coming yeah. out of high school. Like I mean, different strength level. They're asked to do a lot more. I mean, I was Alex Gibbons was talking about at media days how the one the younger guys they have here, he's still kind of trying to teach and and bring along because they're asked to do so many different things or more things than they were at the high school level. So that's kind of my number one is what the young offensive lineman group turns out to be, particularly in how they kind of, which one of them latches on to the, to, to the back end of the, I guess, too deep. Um, number two, I'm going to probably go. 
outside linebacker? How like what do these kids look like at defensive end? Because I'm not sure. Like Ole Miss really struggled to generate a pass rush off the edge last year. They really, really, really missed Marquise Haynes at times a year ago. There just wasn't a whole lot of pop on that outside edge. So, and now that now you got these guys that played defensive end the last couple of years, Kadir Shepard. Um, I guess who am I thinking of? Chuck Wiley, Wiley. some different different yeah. guys. Um, and then you got Sam Williams, who's probably going to start opposite of Shepard on that. You had him have a new position where it's some pass rush responsibilities, it's some coverage responsibilities. It's still kind of like an end position, um, but it's 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 kind of more of an, a tweener. I mean, it's not a true defensive end position. What does that look like? And are those guys able to adjust? I think they actually have a couple guys in terms of like body frame that they're okay with. Like it may not be McIntyre's ideal fit, but I think. I think they feel okay with a couple of guys they have, at least on the, like, I mean, at least with Shepard, I don't know what Brendan Williams is really going to look like there behind Sam Williams, but like, you know, Chuck Wiley, Kadir Shepard, what do those guys look like? Are they able to handle all that? Because that position is kind of not the only thing different, but if you're looking at like, it, like I, I think to me, that's the most glaring difference when you talk about the defensive schemes is how they play those guys on the outside. And so what does that look like? Because like your defensive ends are now Ryder Anderson and Tisdale. And like obviously those guys are not like I mean, they're defensive ends, but not necessarily built like a Shepherd or built like a Sam Williams. So uh, what does that outside linebacker position look like? Can they generate a pass rush? Because that was something they were badly lacking a year ago. Yeah, I mean Obviously, they've got to get more pressure on the uh, passer. And I think uh, McIntyre feels like this three-four will, will, will uh, you know, give them that opportunity to get more pressure on the guys. So, yeah, I mean, Sam Williams, I think, is going to be a big help off the edge. He's obviously a, a pretty good football player. So th- those guys are going to be, you know, instrumental for this defense if they're going to be successful this year. I kind of think it starts there. Um, are they able to, you know, handle coverage responsibilities? Are they able to get to the passer and, and you know, hit him a little bit? And, because I think that was the biggest problem with last year's defense is obviously, look, they struggled tackling. But the quarterback had no fear when he dropped back to pass because he was going to be protected. Um, and, and Ole Miss has got to rectify that this year if, if they're wanting to win football games because anytime the quarterback can drop back with confidence that nobody's going to touch him, it's a whole different ball game. Yeah, and it was mainly off the edge. Like they had some, they got they, they were okay inside. Like the Josiah Coatney's of the Austrian Robinsons, Benito Jones of the world, they were okay on the interior defensive line last year. Maybe not as much depth as they wanted, but they had some players there. They just really missed a Marquise Haynes. There was no edge player, no edge rusher that could really kind of make an impact. And do they have that this year? I think they're hoping that Sam Williams, and I think they're hoping Kadir Shepard really takes a step there. But you know, I don't. You know, what does that look like? Because Sam Williams again. Really talented guy, probably the best guy they signed in that class overall outside of Ely. Um, but, you know, he's never played it down a major college football. So I guess we'll kind of see um, see on that one. So that's kind of my second one. My third one is what does the wide receiver group look like the first game and, like, how productive are they? And I, you're not going to be able to tell that from camp, but, like, who – like, is it – you know, who outside of – you kind of know Elijah Moore is going to be a guy. You kind of know Braylon Sanders is going to be a guy – Outside of that, who is it? Like, dude, where? How do they use Tyler Knight? You know, what does Miles Battle look like? Got some experience as a freshman, and then who kind of comes up behind it? Is it Drummond? Is it Mingo? The wide receiver group is kind of fascinating to me because you have two guys that you really know are going to contribute in Sanders and Moore. Miles Battle, who's kind of the guy, like you talk about the cliched next step. He got some experience last year, got play, got some playing time. But after that, what does that look like? Because again, you get a couple injuries in, and that inexperienced receiving group looks even more different than it did a year ago. Yeah, I mean, look, they've got guys at the receiver position. Obviously, there's there's talent there. They've done a good job of recruiting there. But uh, you know, like like you said, outside of Elijah Moore and, and Braylon Sanders, I mean, it's kind of a it's kind of a competition to see who kind of takes that next spot. So, I mean, Miles Battle had a pretty good freshman season. So they've got guys there. It's just going to be interesting to see who starts out. I mean, Tyler Knight's going to play a bunch of slot. But, I mean, they're going to have to have guys out there. You don't – I mean, you saw it last year. You don't just run three or four guys out there and and that's your guys. You're going to have to have depth at that receiver position. And I feel like that's a position where Ole Miss can establish some depth. Uh, That's what happens when you recruit well at at a position. Um, So – They'll be fine there. It's just going to be interesting to see who the kind of go-to guys are after, you know, the Sanders and, and Elijah Moores of the world. 
The strength of it now is probably at slot, and I guess you could have said that's the case when they had A.J. Brown at slot the last two years, but he's not really your traditional slot receiver in that sense, although I think A.J. will probably play a decent bit of slot in the NFL. I think he'll be more successful with the Titans if he's in there, but you have two more like typical like for college football slot guys and kind of a smaller speedier guy in Elijah Moore. And I mean, hell, there are two slot receivers right now. Neither one of them crack 5'10", which is very relatable to one person on this podcast. But <laughs> they're up. also very strong and very athletic, which I'm not. But my point being <laughs> is, like, 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 like they seem very set there because – not set, but it'll be interesting to see how they're used because you figured Moore's going to be a high-volume catch guy, particularly with the uncertainties on the offensive line. Like, that to me screams something that, like they use him a lot, particularly shallow routes over the middle to kind of get the ball out of Matt Corral's hands quickly. I think if you're looking for a guy for – I think I wrote this after the spring. Is if you're looking for a guy to have a breakout season, I think it's probably more. He had the most catches of any guy in the spring game, which what does that actually mean? Not, not much of anything, but, I mean, they threw the ball to him a lot. And I think that's going to continue, um, particularly where he's playing and how he's used. And then Knight will probably be used some in the backfield, probably a decent bit in the slot. They'll use it. I mean, those two guys they'll use to kind of stretch the field and, and kind of get them going on the perimeter and in space kind of moving laterally. So how they do that will be interesting to me. I don't think Knight will be playing any defense, which is probably music to his ears because, you know, 5'6", 173 is tough to play defense in the SEC. But I think he could be an interesting piece offensively. I just really don't know how they're going to use Knight. I think it's in a lot of different ways. Yeah, I'll tell you what, uh, four wide with Knight and Moore in the slots, a tough combination to match up to for a defense. Yeah, it is. And then just what, like, what does it look like after that? Like what, like how, how, how ready are Drummond and, and Gregory to contribute? Obviously, Drummond's a Juco kid, probably a little bit more polished than Gregory. I don't know. Who knows? I just Gregory got on the practice field at the end of last year, and there was a thought that he might come back towards the end of the year. I think we mentioned this a couple of times, but if you'll remember, Gregory tore his, DeMarcus Gregory tore his ACL his senior year of high school and was really just not in a position to, to do much or contribute. A year ago, spent most of the time rehabbing it. I think by the end of the year, if, you know, if Ole Miss was in dire need of a wide receiver, he may could have gotten onto the field. I don't think it was ever realistic. Never made any sense for him to be out there. So he redshirted. But like, what, like how, how ready are they? Like how, like what do they look like? Because those are two kind of, I mean, six one two, kind of built the same six one two ten two fifteen range. Like, what do they look like? Because I'm interested to see their skill set. Because other than what we've seen in high school, like I don't really know what they look like as far as the skill set at the college level. Because like, there's really no just huge other than Battle, who's what six four six five. There's really just no huge bodied like red zone DK Metcalf type target. And I say that DK Metcalf, you're not gonna like. You know, any team in the country would kill for a DK Metcalf like target, but you get my point. Like, who's the big body target they go to in the red zone, or is that something Rich Rod even really puts much of an emphasis on? Yeah, no, that's certainly a fair question. Um, you know, Gregory certainly would fill that type, you know, body role. So uh, it'll be interesting. Like you said, I mean, there's a lot of options at receiver. Um, obviously, there's some top guys that are that are going to start out the season as starters, but they're going to have to rely on more than that. So it'll 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 certainly be interesting to see kind of how everybody incorporates into that role, what they kind of do with Dennis Jackson and uh, Mingo. Uh, those guys are probably going to redshirt, but I, I feel like they're talented enough to get on the field immediately. Um, you know, so it, it'll be interesting to receiver after you know three years of kind of knowing exactly what you had at that position. Yeah, and then my last one is obviously going to be Jerry and Ely, and what. I mean, you're not going to necessarily figure out this in fall camp, but I, I don't really need any know any other way to word this any better way than how is he used? Like, where is he lining up? Obviously, it's going to be a running back, and we're probably not going to see a lot of how they're going to use him and stuff like that. But I just would be interested to see what the coaches are saying about it, particularly early on in fall camp, and get a gauge for how much he's going to contribute, how many carries he's going to have. Like, if we can gain any, like I guess, shred of information as to how he's going to what his workload's going to look like and how much he's going to be used, that's going to be fascinating to me because I got a feeling Ole Miss is going to need to use him a lot. I think that's going to be a game changer, maybe even beyond expectation if the kid turns out to be as good as they think he is. But, um, out, you know, he he's not listed on the two deep right now, but, you know, you figure it's he and Scotty Phillips, Isaiah Willard, presumably, I mean, I presumably will take a bit of a back seat if, if, if Ely is indeed ready to play, but I'll just be interested to see how they use him and how different they use him maybe than a traditional bell count running back because you do have a thousand yard back and Scotty Phillips sitting back there. So I think I'm going to go running back as my fourth one. Yeah. Um, 
just kind of off the topic here is Devon Penniman. Look, I know he had the horrible knee injuries. He going to play this year? He's he full play? go. He's full okay. go. He's you know I don't they, they don't really know what that looks like after the injury. Um, I mean, he, what he had a gruesome knee injury in 2017. I guess that yep. would have been the A and M game in 2017. A&M. Didn't play at all last year. He's full go, and he was full go during the spring. I think basically because I asked Matt Luke about that a couple of times. I don't really know what they expect from him, and I don't think it's much. And I don't mean that as like a dig towards the kid. I just he's coming off a catastrophic leg injury. I don't really know what that looks like. I don't think they know really what it's going to look like. I mean, it's certainly. I mean, you can't have too many running backs. It's going to help. It's going to certainly help for depth. But I don't know if and how he fits in at all to the offense. I mean, he could be a, a short yardage goal line guy for sure. He's a big enough body and. I mean, if he can move at all, those those type guys will play in you know one and two yard settings. But uh, I was just curious. I knew he took that that hit to his knee against A and M in seventeen. I didn't know if they expected him to you know contribute at all. I guess that'll be a storyline going into the uh, fall to see what kind of they do with him on offense. Eric Sweeney's no longer here, right? No, Eric Sweeney transferred out of the program. Uh, um, poor guy. I felt bad for him. Yeah, kind of the same type of deal, not as Penman, but two really, really catastrophic leg injuries. You kind of felt junior year there's a there's an opportunity behind I mean with Jordan Wilkins having to sit out the twenty sixteen season for kind of him to be the guy, you know, he was a guy that Freeze was really high on coming out, you know, when he got to campus and everything. And then of course I think it was his first carry in the Florida State game that happened yeah. that happened to him. Um so yeah, Penman you know, I believe he has two years of eligibility left, um, but I, I, I don't really know how that fits in. I mean, you know, you talk about, you know, knees and legs with running backs and you become damaged goods. And, you know, is it probably more likely he falls into what exactly happened to Eric Sweeney more so than maybe a guy that comes back and contributes a lot on the field? Yeah, probably. But I guess you really can't say at that point. But I don't know. I'm looking at running backs here and I'm it's it's. It's Ely. I mean, you know what you have in Phillips, but it's Ely, and then like how everyone else is used. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm fine with that. Because um, I mean, frankly, I mean, besides Ely, and I mean, Woolard was fine for them last year, but the crux of the carries are going to Ely and Phillips this year. Oh, I mean, yeah, there was a there was a sizable drop off. Um, there's a, there's a sizable drop off. From, I mean, when Scotty Phillips got hurt against A&M last year in Ole Miss's running game, and that's not necessarily an indictment on Woolard. You know, they played – I mean, they ran it okay against Vanderbilt. I don't have those numbers in front of me. And then they played, obviously, one of the best defenses in the country in Mississippi State. But I, I don't think it's a coincidence that there was a bit of a drop-off there because Phillips is really good back. You know, Willard was a young player, but I, I, I just I, – I don't see a scenario where it's not Phillips and Ely. I could be completely wrong about that, and, you know, Ely may could be kind of treading water like some freshmen do, but I don't really anticipate that happening. I think Willard will get carries because you're not making it through an SEC schedule with just two running backs getting carries. But I, I think Ely – like you talk about siphoning off carries from guys, I think he siphons way more off of Willard than he does Phillips. Okay. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be an interesting, you know – uh, fall camp. There's there's a lot that's going to have to get established before they hit the road to the Liberty Bowl here in a few weeks. Yeah, and I feel like there's this expectation of like one, once they kind of get going into camp and people start reading stuff, and you know, it's the same stuff you put out every year in terms of like, I guess, content and reporting on it is like practice reports and things like that. But I just don't think, I think you're going to head into Memphis on August 31st or whenever the hell that game is. Um, still not knowing a ton. You're going to know probably who's lining up on the first series and things of like that. But I did, like, I, I don't think I'll leave. I don't think I'm going to leave this camp. No, really having any idea what the offense looks like or how much better the defense is going to be. I, I, I don't think my opinion will be changed very much. I think this camp is very much, at least from a media perspective, what we'll get out of it is just more like personnel. Um, who's where, who's hurt, who's not, you know, cause your, your depth can take a hit and fall camp and most, you know, often does and so like I, that that to me is where you'll find out more stuff it, schematic wise i think they're going to roll into the liberty ball the first weekend and they're still going to be mostly entirely unknown of what what the the team ceiling is and what they'll look like and i'm not even sure that you'll know after the first game because i go back to last year say they win that first game against memphis or whatever you know the defense looks better gives up 20 25 points something like that the offense scores a bunch they win games that's kind of what the Texas Tech game looked like last year and you're like okay this defense may be okay and they may be okay and of course they they beat one power 5 team the rest of the year after yeah. that well i mean if Memphis quarterback breaks his ankle on the first drive of the game then you know 
probably take it with a grain of salt. But uh, Memphis is a pretty explosive offense. So if they've got all their weapons and the quarterback doesn't get hurt at the beginning of the game, I think it might tell a little bit of a different story. No, yeah, I'm not saying that. But you got to remember that 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 quarterback battle Texas Tech had was a three-way quarterback battle literally going into the first game. Like, their, their depth chart going into that game that day was or, 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 or. They didn't know who the starter was going to be, and they were going to play all three. Um but really, my point in that was like I, I don't like it's. You'll know by the month of se- end of the month of September what this team is, but I'm not yeah. even sure you'll know a ton after the first game. Yeah, I mean that's certainly fair. Uh, I mean, obviously, you'd prefer to win it to lose it, but it's not like the season is an indictment one way or the other after uh, the first game. Uh, no, but they better win that. <laughs> they better because <laughs> you lose to Memphis. And you got Arkansas and Cal coming up. Oh, but I mean, you you got to win two of those three, right? Like, if you win two of those three, you're not in a bad position. You have to win two of those three at the absolute. That's worst case scenario, though. Well, I, I mean, the worst case scenario is obviously winning one or none. But I'm just talking about like if you want to be okay and kind of have a path to getting this program back to a bowl game and back to six wins, like two two wins there is the absolute worst case scenario there's no there's no path if they win one of those well no i kind of disagree i mean worst case i guess but i mean my thing is like you you're going to go 2 and 0 in the other non-conference games you win two there you beat vanderbilt that's five i mean try that's, to scrape that's one four else. if you win one no, yeah, if you win one, I was saying calling two worst-case scenario. I mean, I feel like winning I'm two talking about if they're making it to a bowl game, that's the like worst they can do through those four games is what I'm saying, I guess, or three games. Okay. Yeah, you have to win I mean, two yeah. of those three to make it to a bowl. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I just don't Which think- I think is important for a lot of reasons because not even just the sheer fact of getting to a bowl, but they're doing okay in recruiting. They kind of have stability on both sides of the football. But- like, you know, this is Matt Luke's – it's not really his third year, but it kind of is going to be lumped in that way for better or for worse, I think, because, you know, it's his third year coaching football games as the head coach. Obviously, it's really this is the first year that's kind of his program. And so if you can get to that bowl game, we've talked about this before, but if you can get to that six win and kind of get momentum on your side again, I think I mean, I, I think I just think the program could potentially and this sounds dumb, but could potentially be in a drastically different place if they win six games as opposed to five next year. I mean, if that to me, at the end of that year, it'll feel very 2012-ish in terms of momentum. Because if Ole Miss didn't win that 2012 Egg Bowl and they were five and seven, I'm not sure that the, the rest of the Hugh Freeze chapter goes exactly like it went. Maybe that would have been a good thing. Um, I kind of just saw quickly here, and we won't spend much on this, John Roth Sr., I'm talking about, obviously, right? Yeah. Yeah, he released his kind of preseason 2019-2020 All-SEC team. Uh, three of these guys have never played a dribble for the team they're going to play for. It's Brian Tyree, Anthony Edwards, Tyrese Maxey, Reggie Perry, Kerry Blackshear. That's three newcomers I mean, that, that he's projecting to be in the top five of the SEC. That's kind of crazy to me. Yeah, but that's kind of just the world you live in in college basketball. And, like, Kerry Blackshear is a newcomer, but you know exactly what you're getting in that guy, and he flits fits Florida perfectly. The reason he chose, I think, Florida over Kentucky and Arkansas is because he's going to kind of be the focal point of that offense around some of the guards Mike White has around him. So I think that's Florida's the reason he chose really Florida. Good. Yeah, they are going to be really good. The SEC as a whole is going to be really good. But um, so – yeah, I, I don't have a ton of other thoughts on fall camp. We'll kind of obviously – it'll really kind of get picking up as this thing gets going Thursday, Friday, through the weekend. But I, I don't know. I mean, there's – there's I don't know. There's just a you – you could sense it at media day, and a couple of us were talking about this kind of amongst ourselves. You could just kind of sense a different air. There's no – there's no baggage, I guess, around the program anymore. Like, it, it there just feels like a, this is it. This You're stripped I – mean, they were stripped down basically. I don't want to call it rock bottom because through all that, five and seven, six and six is really not the worst thing that could have happened to them. But like, really, any traces of Hugh Freeze are now gone. And I think we've talked about this before. But like, there, there's, there's, you know, it's not his coordinators. You know, it's mostly not his players. I mean, it's, it's kind of still, a, I guess, a decent mix in terms of that. But you know, most of these guys have now spent the majority of their time under Matt Luke. I mean, this is this is kind of it. And does he sink or float? I get it's this year is going to be fascinating. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I had a uh, leftover uh, mailbag question. If you want to get to it, since yeah, uh, go ahead. Okay, look, it's it's kind of it's a hypothetical and it's kind of complex, but uh, it's it's all right. If you answer this question right, 
you get $25 million, okay? If you answer it wrong, you get five years in prison. And the question Have we is, already done this before? Well, no. I mean, the scenario, yes. Um, but, all right, does Ole Miss win a national title in the big three sports over the next 25 years? Um, I'd leave no, because history's on my side. Would you would you take it or would you just abstain? Uh I would take it. You take it? Yeah. God, that's a hard bet to take. Why? They're not winning one in football or basketball. It's basically baseball <laughs> or bust. I mean, yes, but I mean Michigan played for a national title this year in baseball. Like the the thought of almost winning a national title in baseball over the next twenty five years, I don't guess is outlandish. No, but it's probably worth that amount of money. You don't think they could win? Like, I, I'm not saying they can't. I don't like their odds. No, I'm talking about in basketball. I mean, Butler played for one two years in a row. Like, sure. South they Carolina Gordon made the Final Four. Auburn was, I mean, a ridiculous comeback away from playing for a national title. Are the odds good? No, but I feel like now football. I'm not going to listen to them probably winning a national title. I don't feel like it's crazy for for someone to say over the next 25 years, Ole Miss gets to a Final Four, and then who knows what happens. Um, I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but I'm playing the numbers here. I like my chances. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I'm not fair saying enough. it can't. I'm not calling it impossible, but you're asking me which one I'm taking. I'm not abstaining. I think I'm. I think I feel comfortable you're, you're enough take your with the odds being small enough. I'm not saying, but yeah, there are like the, the, it is possible. But I, I feel comfortable enough with you know. There's no history really to support it. It's not outlandish to say. I guess it could potentially happen, but like I'm definitely taking that. Like, like I will feel like I I really got. Like, I feel like I really got killed if if that happens. Like, I feel like I really kind of just got wrenched on that deck. <laughs> I'm interested in it. Which one would you be more fearful of, baseball or basketball? Baseball. I just don't see it in hoops. Okay. I mean, yeah, you get on a team, you get a hot run, but like, you got to, I mean, you got to beat six really, really good teams in a row to win a national title. So, I mean, in basketball. So, I mean, I'm not saying it can't happen. No, I mean, there, like you mentioned, there's t- programs that don't necessarily have a ton of history and tradition getting to a Final Four, you know, getting making a run. But I like I, I like the odds again. Okay. But and they've had the most history of success in baseball. Like, they've been to Omaha. They've been close, you know, five times. They've been a game away five times or whatever it is. So, I'm not – yeah, I would be definitely most fearful of baseball. Baseball? Okay. Yeah, um, I, mean, I just – I had someone text me ask me why did why we didn't answer their hypothetical. So now we did. Um, I had one. Uh, Rob Candici was cut. Oh yeah. Um, so I was that. still on vacation when this happened. Was there anything surrounding it? Because it's kind of an odd, odd yeah. time to cut a, a what King, what I, Kingsbury said he came in out of shape, and he did. Um, so they cut him. I mean, it's really that simple. I mean, Rob didn't really commit to commit himself over the offseason. Look, he tore his ACL, but it was obvious um, that, you know, he came in, you know, not ready to go. They had him on the physically unable to perform list because of the ACL, but he wasn't where he needed to be from a conditioning standpoint. Um, and they just let him go. Um, Rob's just kind of struggled. He had a good year last year, I guess, but his first two years were non-existent. And they kind of just got tired of it. So, uh, you know, he's on the streets. I'm sure he'll sign with the Patriots. Um, and be an all pro for six years. I'm kind of being facetious, but you know, it was, it was I'm not gonna say a tough break because Rob kind of brought it on himself. Um, why is yeah, he on the I mean, PUP it, list? Yeah, he was on the PUP list. Why he tore his ACL at the end of last year? That's right, that's right. Okay, I forgot. Yeah, so I, I, at the time, I'll, I guess I'll put it this way at the time when they came out, I said this on a couple of radio things, and I think I wrote about this a little bit. Rob, Rob, of course, the kid had the talent to have a, you know, not Hall of Fame career per se, because you can't really ever predict that kind of stuff, but to have a long, viable NFL career. But I also thought just kind of gauging from where he was, it wouldn't have shocked me if Rob five years from when he was drafted was no longer playing football because he just seems like a kid that, I mean, you have to be almost like robotic and machine-like to play football in the National Football League, and that just has never been Rob's vibe to me. And he has, I guess, other interests in life. And sure. Good for him. But I'm not I, like I wasn't when I said this and wrote this at the time. I wasn't predicting the kid be a bust. I was just saying it wouldn't surprise me if he was out of football in five years. And I don't think this is the end of him in the NFL. Somebody's put taking a flyer on Rob Kambichi at least one more time. Maybe he gets a second one after that if that doesn't work out. But like, it, this just seems like one of the first steps toward maybe that being the case. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think Rob actually likes – I'm not going to say he likes – I don't think he loves football the way you have to to be able to play at that level um, and play consistently at that level. You know, like you said, I think he has other interests. I don't think football is his number one interest. Uh, Rob's not a bad dude. Like, he gets a bad rep a lot of the time. He's not a bad guy. He just doesn't like football like most of the people in the NFL do. What, he's three years in? Yeah. Well, this would be his fourth. Right. This would be his fourth season. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, this happens all the time. Like, really, I mean, what's the average window? For, I'm, I'm not spinning this at all. I'm just saying this happens. I mean, you know, what's what's your average window for an NFL player or first round pick? And it's probably five to seven, you know, four to seven years in the in the NFL. But it's just, you know, it's weird. I mean, he's 24. He was the 29th overall pick, first round guy, and you know, he's already looking for a second team. And sure. Yeah, I, I just it, this isn't necessarily, I guess, surprising to me. Um, no, Treadwell's a little bit surprising. What's going on there? Um, that one, that one's surprising to me, but this one was not. Um, yeah, I just, I think, I don't really know on Treadwell because I, I, I have, I admittedly have not followed it, it, it enough to really understand what's going going on behind there. I guess in terms of like when they were drafted on draft night, if I'd ask, like if you'd ask me who had a longer career, I'd have probably gone with Treadwell, but again. Both kind of, I, both to me, equally surprising in their own way, I guess. Yeah, everybody gets mad at the uh, Vikings for not getting into the football. I'm like, man, the Vikings have played in the NFC title game, and uh, Kirk Cousins is not a bad quarterback. I don't really think it's all their fault uh, that Treadwell struggled in the league. No, it is not. Um, I mean, Thielen and Diggs are having good years consistently. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it you know, I'll be interested to see what happens with Treadwell. If and when he's released and and get in, if he gets us like if, when he catches on with another team, what that looks like is it a bad fit or is he just really not cut out to be an NFL wide receiver? I might lean the latter because, like you said, the Vikings have been a really good team the last couple of years, made an NFC title game, and it just hasn't worked. But maybe it's a different. Maybe he gets in a different system and different fit and kind of like reju. I, I don't know if you say rejuvenate. Maybe just kind of kickstart um a delayed start to his nfl career so i don't know I, I i really don't i don't have a ton of thoughts on the treadwell thing obviously it was surprising me i didn't figure that'd be the way his nfl career would go to this point but you know you never really know in the nfl i adopted an nfl team over the weekend who i've, I've never had an nfl team and now i'm a falcons fan to, to that's a tough life. one to adopt man man tell me about it I just figured I had to get one close enough to drive, and it wasn't going to be the Saints, so it was either the Titans or the Falcons. <laughs> and I don't really have any Falcons friends, so that's why I went with them. Fair enough. Um, fair enough. I mean, they've been to Super Bowl, relevant. Got it. I like. I think Matt Ryan's a better quarterback than people give him credit for. I think he's probably B level. I think he had one A level year when he had um, when he had Shanahan as his offensive coordinator. Yeah. But I think he's good. He's obviously good enough to get to a Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl. They got a lot of talent on that offense, but you know, can't stop. Anybody. You talk about a program never really recovering from a singular moment, like Ole Miss, you know, Black Monday and stuff like that. I'm not sure Dan Quinn and the Falcons have ever fully recovered from the 28 to three. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I would, I uh, that's a, I'd that's argue just a hunch. Miss, I'd argue Ole Miss is more recovered from Black Monday than the Falcons were. Oh, I, I, I'm not saying you're wrong. I would have no clue. I, like, I wouldn't know I mean, how to Ole argue that. was a game away from the College World Series this year. Sure, but people were still talking about Black Monday the day after their 2019 well, season ended. Because that's because people are stupid. I mean, No, I mean, that was very much part of the storyline, in my no, opinion. I don't think Black Monday was why they lost to Arkansas 14-1. to That didn't have I know it doesn't have to be the case, but it's the fact that it's still part of the story, like, the it, it was the case. I mean, it, it was the reason in the sense that why they were playing on the road, in my opinion. Sure. I mean, but I don't know. I, I don't feel like you can be hung over and get a get game away from the College World Series. I, I, I'm not saying they're not fully over it, but I don't think the program has been quite the same since that day. That's just my observation from from being around it, just kind of gauging what what things are. No one talked about it. Obviously, it was in the past. I'm not saying they were still hung up on it as they were taking the field for Game 3, but things have just kind of felt different since. Uh, I, I just... I don't I, I have to disagree. I just kind of think they got beat in the Super Regional. I don't think they played well this year, um, and you can attribute that to that. But I don't, I don't really think the postseason had much to do with that. I think they just got beat by a better team. 
I'm not saying that it was a direct contribute to what happened to them in the postseason. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying it loomed through them without the year. It was the reason they were in the position they were having to go play on the road. And just, if you're still talking about it and it's still part of the story in a year later, I don't think that means you're completely over it, I guess is what I'm saying. I'm not saying that contributed to what they did in the postseason. But if that's still part of the storyline – you know, a year later, which it very much was, because I think anyone who like was at that game, covered the game, wrote about, you know, 2018 and the junior class legacy and all that. If that's still part of the story, I don't think you can say it's completely behind you. Okay. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, are we going to still be talking about it this year when they go 16 and 14 and go, go as a two seed on a, to a regional? No, because you look at the rosters, it's a different team. Like that, that this one last year is very much the same team in terms of guys who ran out there every day. I'm trying to think if there's going to be anybody. Oh, Keenan, I was going to say if there's going to be anybody on the team that played in that game. Um, but Keenan, um, um, I mean, Fowler's still technically on the roster, yeah. Um, I actually think he just not to get off, but I think there's a chance he recovers. I don't, I don't know about Greer Holston, but I think there's a chance Fowler recovers. Yeah, I <laughs> we're uh, we're July. I uh, poss- Yeah, I mean that's. I guess it's certainly possible. I um, but yeah, I hadn't talked to many people around baseball the last couple weeks. I um, need to look and see how they did this summer. I haven't looked at anything. I know Keenan had a good summer. Um, I we don't have a conspiracy theory Monday. That's my bad. I was on vacation. <laughs> I uh, I uh, I just kind of dropped the ball on that. We'll revisit that next week. Um, as we're kind of back into the, uh, back into, I guess, a bit of a routine of things. Do you have anything else? Did we miss anything? What else went on in the sports world over the weekend? Uh, man, was there anything from major league baseball that happened that was important? Cause if it is, I mean, the Cubs suck and I'm ready to send Joe Madden into the sun, but, uh, yeah, there haven't been a ton of NFL training camp storylines. You had the Kibichi thing, AJ green, um, yeah, tore ligaments in his ankle. Out six to eight weeks. Um, from the sounds of that, I follow a lot of Bengals reporters just from kind of just it being around when I was up there. And it sounds like that could have absolutely been worse because he was carted off the field. He was like throwing shit. Oh, AJ Brown got hurt. Um, no, but he, he, I believe he was hurt in, uh, in their OTA workouts. He pulled a hammy and is still recovering from that. Oh, I mean, he just, I just he just walked off the field the other day. I, I didn't know anything past that. It's probably still. I would. I would imagine, from what I read, at least, it's still lingering from that. He got hurt in there. I don't know. It's not OTAs. I don't think rookies go through OTAs. I think it's the rookie mini camp or voluntary mini camp. Whatever. Whatever it is, he tweaked something there. I imagine it's still related to that. Um, the Giants' depth is rapidly deteriorating already, and they've been in camp like four days. <laughs> Boy, the Giants are something else. Uh. Yeah, you just keep waiting for that fire to go out. And I don't even mean necessarily like, yes, is it probably time to move on to Eli Manning and put that horse out to pasture? Sure. But just that dysfunction as an organization, like you get rid of Odell Beckham, you kind of get a little bit younger. It's like, is that going to like, when is that fire going to actually come out? Does it not? Does it happen when Eli's gone? Like, how does when do you finally turn the page there? Fun game. Uh, Who's more incompetent, the Giants front office or the Mets front office? Um, I guess until the Giants general manager, Jerry Reese, starts calling plays from oh, upstairs. Oh, he, he got fired, boss. Oh, excuse me. No, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, who am I blank? Gettleman. Sorry. Gettleman. Yeah. <laughs> Jerry Reese is gone about a year and a half ago. Um, so until Gettleman starts calling plays from the press box up there um, or his luxury box or wherever he's sitting, I'm probably going to have to go to the Mets. They traded for Stroman, and they're six games out of the wild card and behind five teams. Like, yeah, I kind of like their move there, and it's like a, they they incorporated it as a three team deal. I don't think they necessarily did that to contend this year. Um, You're going to get Strowman for one year, then. I think that I think they did that with the belief they could re-sign him. Okay. Um, I mean, but you're going to trade Thor. You can't re-sign Thor. But he hasn't. Been, to your point, he hasn't been very good. I mean, he's not. But I mean, Strowman's had this. I mean, Strowman struggled before this year. I'm not disagreeing. I just don't think they did that as a this year try to jump back in contention type of move, particularly when they worked in a three team deal. I was reading Jeff Passan, uh, Jeff Passan's story, excuse me, on that, and I, I did just from the vibe I got from what the way he was writing it, it didn't sound like they were necessarily trying to do that directly as to try to get back into it this year because I don't think they're getting back into it this year. Surely they're not that you know. Surely they're not that stubborn. I don't know. Who's the third team? The Padres. Yes, I believe so. Okay. I just didn't see what they got. Um, here we go. 
Wait, no. This was not a three. Yeah, I didn't see a third team. It was just two pitchers, two top 100 pitchers for Stroman. And some oh, cap. I had read earlier in the day. So, Passon reported earlier in the day that it was going to be Cindergard to the Padres and it worked out a three-team deal where that's but so that that deal ended up being straight up. That's kind of interesting. Um, yeah. they traded him for two prospects and looks like cash basically. Yeah, that's what that's what it looks like. Interesting. So and then but the I guess my point in this is the move. They it sounds like this move is made because they don't think they're going to sign Zach Wheeler to an extension. Anyway, this doesn't matter. This is not Mets corner. But yeah, interesting trade. Um. I don't know. Mets probably more dysfunctional than the Giants. Dodgers got to get a bullpen arm. Uh, uh, yeah, they do. Um, got to get better. Like Jesus Christ, that rotation is horrible. Uh, yeah, I think they'll still be. I, I, I mean, they're what ten games up in the division. I mean, you're probably hitting a little bit. Of, oh, they're going to uh, win the division. I'm not. Yeah, I know. But like you, you, a lot of these teams hit a midseason lull like that when they haven't been in games and really been in a race. I mean, look, Yankees. That division hadn't been in a race in two months. No, but I'm I'm just saying you take that rotation to Houston and ALCS and you're not coming out alive. Probably not. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that play out. That's really about all I've got for today. Um, trying to think, nothing really happened over the weekend. I didn't have any travel complaints. Uh, more people stood up and did the air, the the crowded plane thing where they stand up and I just I really, stared I really at them all with this I just don't understand. It's a very like that's not a like hard social norm to to adapt to like. Just sit in your seat. File out single file. I don't understand that. <laughs> um, oh, me. That, yeah, that that's really be about a, all the thoughts I had. That should be a, a segment as, as Brian discusses uh, social norms. Yeah, and people that don't follow him should be thrown in prison. There'd be a lot of people thrown in prison if I was president. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's really about all I had. I got all my th- thoughts on California out on Friday's show, I think. Um, pretty solid vacation, but it's kind of go time again. Like, it, so, it, you, you start camp on Thursday, and the the circle, the entire circular circular motion of the the calendar sports year kind of gets going again. So you excited to be back in Oxford on on the radio this afternoon? Um, so I am in Jackson today. I got getting some stuff done around here. That's why we oh. are going uh, Skype one more time. But I'll be back in Oxford this week, and yeah, kind of get going again. It kind of <laughs> feels normal again. The show won't feel normal. Richard's on vacation this week after oh, wow. me. Hey, Dad took vacation last week, but. Um, yeah, whenever Richard's off the show, it's kind of like substitute teachers gone. It's time to have some fun, or, substitute, or teachers gone. Substitute. <laughs> so like who leads the show? Is that Borky or? What yeah, you got? pretty much. It's Borky and the Bryans is our bad band name for when Richard Borky is gone. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> we got that going on this week. Be sure to tune in three to six. We will uh, we will entertain you. I don't know how much we will inform you, but it won't be boring. I promise. So are you on there today? Yeah, well, I'm back. I'm back. I am. Uh, I'm done for va- with vacation, pretty much for for good. I mean, this is. I mean, fall camp's going. It's it's a new year. This is kind of, this is kind of back, like, you know, back at the ground, and we're going to take off again and get this thing rolling again. So, you know, here we go. I guess I don't really know what else to say other than that. But unless you got anything else, I'm going to get out of here. Yeah, sounds good. Well, we'll be back at it on Wednesday. Uh, I am looking forward to that Lee Stein, Steinberg interview next week. We'll start getting some more SEC-related football guests on as we kind of get rolling. I kind of held off doing that in the early part of July because, like, until you get to media days and all that, and no one's really mind is on football. So we'll get kind of go into that, get back into the football mode, and then I've got some stuff planned for football season. I'm pretty pumped for it. So like and subscribe to the podcast, as they say in the industry. Maybe unsubscribe and then subscribe again. I don't know if that jacks up the numbers or not, but – Help us out. Leave a review. You can say anything you want about me as long as it's four or five stars. Um, that seems like a pretty fair trade-off. You can say this guy's an asshole. I don't really care, but just leave us five stars. Um, <laughs> anyway, so we'll be back at it on Wednesday for Colin Brister. I am Brian Scott Riffey. We'll see you on Wednesday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.